to be seated. So week by week in our Joshua teaching series, which we wrap up today, we've been asking the question, are we nearly there yet? You know, statistically, and it's proven, the average car journey with a child in it takes 22 minutes before that question is asked, are we nearly there yet? And of course, the answer as far as our teaching series is concerned is yes, we are. We're about 20, 25 minutes away from wrapping up Joshua for this year. And then next weekend, we're going to head into a new Advent teaching series called Unwrapping Jesus. We wrap up Joshua, but we unwrap Jesus. See what I did there? I'm here all morning. So as we get to the final chapter of uh, Joshua today, chapter 24, uh, Joshua's likely been the leader of his people for about 50 years. Moses died, Joshua picked up the baton, Uh, Joshua has been leading for 50 years, and he dies at the end of chapter 24. He dies at the grand old age of 110 years. That's not a bad innings, is it? 110 years. In our scripture reading this morning, we get to hear the heart of a wise old leader, A wise old leader who, knowing that he's about to leave planet Earth, has a message for his people. And Joshua has two primary concerns. His first concern is, look, would you be a people who do not slip back into idolatry when I've died? That's where you keep going. Every single time we take our eyes off the true and living God, we end up worshipping false gods and we slip backwards. Joshua's message, please do not slip backwards. Now, of course, the same is true for us, isn't it? Living as we do this side of the cross, there's a challenge for us not to slip into bad ways, not to slip into practices which are unhealthy for us spiritually. It's no wonder then, is it, that the writer of the Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 12 said, fix your eyes upon Jesus. Why? Because he's the author. He's the perfecter of your faith. If you try and perfect your faith without Jesus, it will be far from perfect. So fix your eyes upon him, the author says. The mind always follows where the eyes lead. There's a challenge. What your eyes look at, your mind will follow. What your mind is filled of will ultimately fill your soul. Where your eyes go, your body will also follow. Who remembers this little song from my childhood? Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Do you know it? Come on, join in. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. There's a father up above, and he's looking down in love. That's scary. So be careful, little eyes, what you see. Who didn't know it? Shame on you. Oh, look at you all. I thought we were such an old-fashioned church as well. Joshua's other primary concern, and really actually the concern of his entire life, is the statement that he makes in verse 15 of what we're about to read. He says, look, will you choose for yourself this day whom you will serve? Choose for yourself. Not tomorrow, choose today who it is you're going to serve. And then he says this, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. There's another song from my childhood there somewhere. So Joshua's message, look, don't slip backwards, but secondly, commit yourself to moving forwards. And you know, in the Christian walk, there's no such thing as standing still. We can stagnate in our Christian walk, we can go backwards in our Christian walk, but the call for us is to go forward. Stagnating, not growing, is the same as going backwards. Joshua's message, would you please move forwards? So have a little listen to what Joshua says from his his swan song, and it is his swan song, quite literally. Joshua chapter 24, I'm going to read from verse 14. Here's his message, fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. 
Throw away the gods of your ancestors that they worship beyond the river Euphrates and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day today whom you will serve, whether the gods of your ancestors beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're now living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And then the people respond, far be it from us to forsake the Lord and to serve other gods. It was the Lord our God himself who brought us and our parents up out of Egypt from the land of slavery, and he performed those great signs before our eyes. He protected us on our journey and all among the nations through which we have traveled. And the Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites who lived in the land. We too will serve the Lord because he is our God. Joshua said to the people, he's a real encourager, You're not able to serve the Lord. He's a holy God. He's a jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after he's been good to you. Uplifting stuff, isn't it? But the people said to Joshua, no, we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said, your witnesses against yourselves and you have chosen to serve the Lord. Yes, we are witnesses, they replied. Now then, said Joshua, throw away the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord our God and we will obey him. Steve. Steve was a man who loved to play golf. Every single day of the week, seven days of the week, 52 weeks of the year, golf was what Steve did. He was passionate about golf and he was committed to it. In fact, this had been Steve's primary um, passion for about 30 years or more. And one day as he was about to putt his uh, his, his ball on the, the final hole, he noticed in the distance that there was a funeral procession going on. He took off his hat, put it across his chest. He gave a moment of silence on the green, ready for the procession. Now, his friend who was playing golf with him was amazed at this because Steve was so committed to his golf that nothing ever took his eyes off the hole. Wow, he said, that was so incredibly respectful, Steve. Steve replied, well, I should be respectful. I was married to her for over 30 years. (laughs) Now, probably by now, what you've worked out Joshua is speaking about is the unutterable C word. There's a C word that you should never say, especially in contemporary society. A C word that should never be spoken in our post-pandemic, post-modern, post-haste world. You should never ask anyone for the C word commitment. I don't know what word you had in your head, but it wasn't the one I've got down on paper. Commitment. You see, that's what Joshua is calling for in this moment, isn't it? Commitment. A commitment that's faithful. A commitment that's wholehearted. He's saying, look, would you either be hot or would you be thoroughly cold in your commitment? Let it be either or, not try and be both and. You definitely can't be lukewarm in your commitment to the living God. And from our text today, what we discover is commitment ought to be the hallmark of all those who know and love God. It's a message that's incredibly simple but profoundly challenging. In our commitment-phobic world, no desire should have a greater pull on us than our desire to follow and be committed to Jesus if we're followers of Christ today. Now, I realize this is a really countercultural message, but the vast majority of the society within which we live have commitment issues. I think we can probably say that. 
It's a big ask nowadays, probably bigger than any other time in history, to ask anyone to be fully committed and sold out to any relationship, especially a relationship with Jesus. So we need to wrestle with the question as a church, well, if it's so hard to convince people to commit themselves unreservedly to Christ, then why do we bother? What's the point? Why don't we just settle for church attendance or maybe church membership or at least periodic or sporadic or seasonal bursts of engagement with Jesus? Isn't that enough? Why don't we drop the level of commitment that God expects to something considerably less? Well, of course, the simple answer to that question is Jesus never left that as an option for us. He challenges us. If we're going to follow him, then we have to follow him wholeheartedly, not half-heartedly. As I flick through my Bible and I read various scripture verses that describe the kind of commitment that God wants, it's more than just a hobby. The journey of faith, the commitment to Jesus is more than a hobby. Think for a moment of the Apostle Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, I die daily as I boast about Jesus Christ. I die daily. Well, not physically, but inwardly he was dying over so many different things. Philippians chapter 3, verse 8, I consider all things rubbish, literally translated, I consider them to be dog dung compared to the incomparable riches of knowing Christ Jesus. That was what Paul said about commitment. And you know, I've never ever met a fully sold out, committed follower of Jesus who who didn't have to die daily to a whole host of things that otherwise would have had a grip upon them. Maybe personal ambition, maybe worldly pleasures, the applause of other people, greed. I guess the list could go on and on and on. If we're follower of Jesus, then we have to die daily, oftentimes to those things in our pursuit of Jesus. But we live in a culture that maintains, you know what, you can have it all. But actually, that slogan is foreign to the mind and to the teaching of Jesus. It's difficult, isn't it, to live in a place of relative affluence like Christchurch as we do and tell people you need to die daily or you need to walk away from or you need to give up worldly pleasures if you're going to put Jesus first in your life. It's a really big ask. And then think for a moment about the words of Jesus, Luke chapter 10, verse 27. We know these words so well. He says, we're to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our strength and with all of our mind. Do you ever wonder to yourself, why did Jesus have to include the word all? Wouldn't it have been easier if he didn't say the word all, not just once, but four times in that one sentence? But that's his call. It's a call to all, a call of all, to total commitment. I sometimes think Jesus could have just bolted on in brackets at the end, as and when you feel like it. Wouldn't that have been much easier? But of course he didn't. And therefore that means that we have to order our lives in such a way that we can live in a constant awareness of who Jesus is and to live for him. And I'm not just talking about Sunday church attendance. That's Monday through to Saturday as well. And then I think of John's question in one chapter, John. John was very passionate about the commitment to relationship. And he says in verse 20 of chapter 4, how can you say you love God and yet hate your brother or sister? We live in a society where hate is routine and it's publicly expressed. It's certainly expressed on social media, and sometimes that can flow into the life of the church. And John is giving a challenge here. He's saying, look, if you've been invited into a relationship with Jesus, then it's not okay to be in bad relationship with your brother or sister in Christ. Commitment to Jesus means you live committed to one another. We should be those who pursue reconciliation. 
But then Jesus taught too, didn't he? Not only about relationships as we heard there, but he talked too about our time, our talents, our treasures. Do you remember the conversation he had with a rich young ruler once, this man who came to him and effectively said to him, Jesus, what have I got to do to be able to live for you and in relationship with you? And Jesus said to him, do you know what? I know it's really hard. I totally get how tough this is for you. You've spent 30 years devoting your time and your talents to the marketplace. And it's really hard for you to suddenly start devoting that to me. You've spent all this time investing all your effort, your faith, your trust, and your wealth, and your accomplishment. And it's those things that are giving you status. But the reality is those things are pushing you away from me. That's what Jesus said to the rich young ruler. No, Jesus knew it was hard when he said the things that he said for us to do them. Always abound in the work of the Lord. Set your mind on the things above. What does it profit you to gain the whole world and lose your salvation? Jesus knew those things were hard to hear, but he said them anyway. And here's the thing. If we're going to take seriously our journey of faith, then we can't ignore the words of Jesus. Now, my guess is, like me, you've probably discovered it is really, really tough sometimes to develop spiritual disciplines. Maybe our Bible study, our praying, journaling, fasting, reflecting, just taking time out to, to be with God in our busy schedules. It can be exceptionally difficult to be in a small group with other brothers and sisters for, for Bible study and for our small group times together. It can be a challenge to be accountable to other people. And hey, don't we know for sure in our busy lives that it's really difficult to prioritize time in our diaries uh, for practical service in and beyond the, the church for the sake of Jesus. But that's the kind of discipleship that Jesus calls us to. It's really radical. Well, here's an interesting little exercise for you. If you want to try and measure your commitment to Christ, then start with a review of how actively you're engaging in those spiritual disciplines. Ooh. An MOT, measure your commitment to Christ by checking out how much you're engaged in Bible study, prayer, fasting, reflecting, the mission of the church, and so on. Do you know, I did this little test on myself this week, and do you want to hear the result? Christopher, ugh, you could do better. Christopher, you could do better. And actually, the reality is that's the message I'm going to hear for the rest of my earthly life, because I can always do better. It's a journey where it's a journey of growth. And I am so grateful that God is so infinitely patient with me. I know I can do better. And God gives me the strength to do better. You know, in preparation this week, I've had to seriously wrestle with how committed to Jesus I really am. So knowing all that I'm saying this morning, I'm not only speaking to you, but I'm also speaking to myself. You know, it's become so clear to me that I haven't got a hope of leading this church anywhere near closer to Jesus unless I'm first attempting to model that myself. I sometimes have to admit that I find myself sitting on the fence or on the wrong side of the fence when it comes to total commitment. And if ever you've sat on top of a fence, it's pretty uncomfortable. I have to look at myself and say, where's the slippage spiritually? Where am I starting to get out of condition? Where are the areas where I'm becoming sluggish? Where are the areas of my life where my walk is not aligning with my talk? And they do exist. I've been reminded this week that long before I pay attention to the spiritual condition of others, I have to first examine myself. Chris, take the plank out of your own eye before you deal with the speck in anyone else's. We're so blessed here at CBC to have an amazing leadership team, a fantastic staff team. And 
in our staff meeting over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about what it means to lead well. And one of the things we discovered, we're really slow to the party, is that the more fully devoted we are as leaders of the church, the more fully devoted the congregation becomes. And it's a vicious cycle. The more committed the congregation becomes, the more that excites us and the more devoted we end up becoming, and it's good for everyone. And when that happens, total commitment becomes a contagious part of our DNA. Value statement number one for us as a, as a church, and our vision and value statement is this, and it's deliberately there in first place. We will be a people fully devoted to Jesus. What a great thing to aim for in life, that we will be a people fully devoted to Jesus. And that's the call of Joshua in our text, in that uh, text that I read for us. He's calling the people to be fully devoted to the God that they've come to know and love. And this morning, I want to share four really brief things as we wrap up this teaching series that I think will help us become more, even more, fully committed followers of Jesus. And the first principle is this, is bin all substitutes. Joshua talks, doesn't he, in the text about throwing things away and getting rid of the rubbish. In Joshua, we find a man who wasn't going to settle for second best, and Jesus encouraged his followers to do exactly the same. I don't know how many of us have home deliveries from Sainsbury's, Tesco's, Asda. There are others uh, available. Do you know the thing that annoys me most about deliveries at home is when they make a substitution? Why do they do that? I ask for something very specific, and if you cannot deliver it, then do not bring me something else. That's what they do. And why do they always give you something that's a bit naff? I ordered a bag of rice. Why did you not substitute it for a television? I'd have taken the television. (laughs) Substitutions. Taking the thing that we never wanted in the first place. It's second best. Do you recall the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount? Seek first the kingdom of God. He said, this is your first and your greatest priority. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added unto you. Our first priority is to seek first the kingdom of God. I love the message uh, translation of this Bible verse. It's brilliant. It says, steep your life in God reality, in God, in God initiative, in God provision. Don't worry about missing out, and you'll find your everyday human concerns will be met. Jesus is speaking about priorities, and he's saying, pursue the real thing. Don't accept a substitute, because a substitute is always going to be second best. Keep the main thing, the main thing, and when you do, you'll discover life, and it's life in all of its finest. We faced a really significant challenge in recent weeks in Christchurch. Some of you will have followed this. The local authority and their wisdom decided that we were going to have a Christless Christmas in Christchurch by creating a Yuletide festival a festival that didn't even reference Jesus. And it's right that we should challenge that. It's right that we should speak to the organizers and say, we don't want a Christless Christmas. Jesus needs to be part of our Christmas celebrations. You know, it really wasn't okay yesterday that we went back to our pagan roots in a town and we had the Holly King and the Ivy Queen or the other way around and the mayor cast a spell to get Christmas underway. And the BCP advert said, we are starting a new tradition in Christchurch. It's right that we should complain against that. And yet at the same time, we as church leaders locally in the town have got to look in the mirror and say, why has that happened? We've got to be honest and say it's because we've stepped out of the public space and we've taken Jesus from the public space and something else has come in to fill it. 
That can happen in our own walk of faith, our own journey of faith. We can end up with a poor substitute, and we end up missing out on the real thing. Next Christmas, we will not be silent about Christmas. But hey, wasn't it good to stand in the rain and get absolutely soaked and sing to all the traffic that was driving past and stuck in the traffic jams? It was brilliant fun. In verse 14 of our passage this morning, Joshua tells the people of the, that they, sh- they should fear the Lord, that they should serve him with faithfulness. How? By throwing away all those things that would distract them from the true and living God. He says, put them in the bin. Put materialism in the bin. Put your gadgets and your gizmos, if they're more important than Jesus, in the bin. Put aside that unhealthy pursuit of your career. If it's more important than Jesus, put it in the bin. Ditch your status if your status is not in Christ. And the people respond, far be it from us to forsake the Lord and serve other gods. And then in the end, by the time we get to verse 23, the people are destroying all the rubbish, all the substitutes, and they're keeping what's best. Hebrews 12 says, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles. First point, don't worry, the other three are really quick. If we're going to be fully committed to Christ, then we need to worship God and not poor substitutes. And then secondly, there's a challenge in our text to make eternal choices. Joshua had chosen to serve the eternal God rather than have the pleasures of sin for a season. Joshua reminds his people of their history, and in doing so, he's saying to them, you've got a history, but actually it's leading to a destiny. There's a future ahead of you. You're called to be the people of God. Would you live like the people of God? Would you stop living with the temporary satisfactions of this world? And actually, when you think about the story of the people of God, they could have just been happy with the temporary satisfaction of, we're in Egypt. It's okay. It's not the worst it possibly could be. Okay, we're slaves. They could have been satisfied with this idea of, hey, we've been freed from, um, from slavery. Hey, that's great. It's a brilliant start. But Joshua says, we're not stopping there. They could have been happy with all those amazing, miraculous signs that the text talks about and said, hey, great, God has blessed us with all these miracles. We're going to be happy and content. But Joshua says, no, there's something more for you. Joshua is calling them towards their eternal destiny. And he was saying, this eternal destiny is all the more amazing than your momentary earthly highs. He says, would you pursue the eternal things and not the temporary things? Do you remember in, uh, in, in the Gospels, in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus once said to Peter very directly and bluntly, what a hard thing to hear that Peter did not care about the things of God, but he only cared about the things of the world. What a stinging rebuke. But Jesus went on to say to Peter, look, your soul is so much more important than any short-term temporary gain in this world. He said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross. They must follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life will find it in me. If you want to be a fully committed follower of Jesus, then we should always be seeking to choose the eternal over that which is temporary, that which will last forever, that which won't perish. And then thirdly, there's a challenge in our text, I think, to prioritize the will of God. Now, Joshua is very honest, isn't he, in saying, look, the previous generations of people that have gone before us have succumbed to human-made gods, and they've been influenced by the generation that they themselves should have been influencing. And he says to them, today you need to make a choice. Today you need to make a choice between God's will and man's will. And he says, would you make that choice today? Don't wait till tomorrow. Make it today. And Joshua in that moment makes the right choice for himself and he calls the people to do exactly the same. 
And it's left me wondering, with New Year coming, how many of us need to make a lifestyle choice today that we're putting off until the New Year? It'll be a resolution. How many of us today are putting off making a big spiritual decision in our lives that will help us in our walk with Jesus. Well, the new year's coming. I'll get into that in the new year once my, my new teaching series comes in my devotion or whatever. Joshua's challenge to God's people is don't put off till tomorrow what should be done today. Choose Jesus today. I love the story of the, uh, the apostle Paul, Saul as he was on the Damascus Road. And he was a man who was busy living, doing things that were pleasing the agendas of other people. The Jewish leaders wanted him to round up all Christians, to put them to death, and he was doing just that. But when the Lord meets him on the Damascus Road, his very first statement, in fact, it's a question, was brilliant, and it's a question we need to grab hold of. He says, Lord, what will you have me do today? It's the first thing he asks as soon as he's saved. Lord, what will you have me to do today? What have you got for me? And I think that's a great question for us today. <coughs> today, Not what do my friends and my neighbors want me to do? What do my employers want me to do? But Jesus, firstly and most importantly, what do you want me to do with my life? To be a fully committed follower of Jesus, we have to choose God's will over the will of others. And always be like Joshua who said, as for me, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And then finally, there's a challenge in our text of commitment over convenience. Joshua implies in verse 19 that the people of God couldn't serve the Lord because it would actually be inconvenient for them. Their lifestyle was such, their way of living was such, that if they accepted God fully, then they'd have to radically change the way they were living. We sung this morning such brilliant song choices of a holy God. And in a sense, Joshua is saying to his people, look, God is too holy for your lifestyle. God is not going to water down his holiness, so your lifestyle is going to have to change. And Joshua is saying to the people of God, if you want to pursue these eternal things, then there can be, there is a cost in fully serving the Lord. But that cost is really worth it. Because when we pursue Jesus, we walk down a narrow path that leads to life in all of its fullness, rather than walking down the wide path that leads to destruction. Joshua challenges the people to commit, and by verse 21, they're echoing Joshua's words from verse 15, and they're saying too, no, we're going to serve the Lord as well. Challenging stuff, isn't it? But what an adventure. What an adventure that we're invited into, to, to journey with Jesus into life in all of its fullness. And I can tell you in my 30-something years now of being a Christian, I do not regret one inch the decision I made to follow Christ. Not one inch. Because it's brought me life, and it's brought me life in all of its fullness. It's never been easy. And it's certainly not always easy. But it's worth the cost. As we get to the end of this teaching series, it would be really remiss of me not to offer a response to you this morning after eight weeks. And the invitation this morning is, would you take a single step that will help you in your journey with Jesus, to walk a bit more deeply with him, to walk a bit more passionately, a bit more wholeheartedly, with a bit more commitment? And you know, I can't do that on my own, and I suspect you can't either, because it's tough. And I want to just create a moment this morning, come invite the musicians, come and join us. We're, we're going to have just a moment where we invite God by his spirit to come and meet with us this morning, to touch us, to fill us afresh. 
with the good things that he has for us that will give us the strength to continue to walk on this narrow path. Can we be still? I invite you to close our eyes. Lord, we want to say to you this morning that we're sorry. We're sorry for those times when we've chosen convenience over our commitment to you. Lord, we're sorry for those times when we've prioritized the agendas of others over your will for our lives. Lord, we're sorry for the times when we've made the gadgets and the gizmos more important than you, when we've made choices over perishable things, when we should have been making choices which would last for eternity. And Lord, we're sorry for the times when we've accepted the poor substitutes, of which there are many out there. Lord, this morning we choose to put them in the bin, in our journey of faith with you. Lord, we're sorry, but thank you that you equip us. Thank you that you resource us with all that we need. Let's just be still for a moment. I just want to invite God by spirit just this morning to come, to fill our hearts afresh. Holy Spirit, come, touch our lives with the good things that you have for us. We can't do this journey alone. And thank you that you don't want us to. Come, Lord Jesus. Lord, thank you that you're the good gift giver. Thank you that you're the Father who knows how to give really good gifts. And Lord, with open hands, we accept them, we receive them this morning. If an earthly father knows how to give good gifts, then how much more, how much more will our heavenly father give to those of us who ask? And we're asking you this morning, Lord Jesus, come. We receive what you have for us as individuals today. The gift of faith, Lord, grow that in our lives. The gift of being able to hear you, Lord, grow that in our lives. The gift of being obedient and following you, give that to us, we pray. All those good spiritual gifts, Lord, that we can use for your glorification, give them to us today, we pray. And Lord, with open hands, we receive in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord is here.